You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Welcome back to week two of Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks. We've all been through all three phases, and so I'm glad that you're here this morning. Thank you so much for making time out of your week to be a part of our services. We hope and it's an encouragement, a blessing to you. And my prayer is that you walk out better than when you came in. So that's my hope. That's my prayer. And I believe that that's what's going to happen today. Uh, last week, we kicked off a series in uh, this, this message series entitled Box Swappers. And so we kicked off this series, and we looked at the fact that everybody here is going to get into relationships. Uh, you're going to get into marriage relationship, dating relationship, engagement relationships, all different types of relationships. And then something's going to happen in that relationship. You say, what's going to happen? Uh, he is going to pull out a box, and in his box, it's got all kinds of stuff. It's all his hopes, dreams, and expectations for you to fulfill. Not only that, she has a box, and in her box is filled with all of her hopes, dreams, and expectations that she believes he is going to fulfill. And what they do in a relationship is they swap boxes, and they trade. They say, hey, now that we're together, now that we're in a committed relationship, now that we made it legal and official, the government's involved and all of that, well, guess what? Now, hey, here's my box. It's up to you to fulfill all my hopes, dreams, and expectations. And we said last week, you know what expectations feel like? Pressure. And don't we all have enough pressure in our life? You have enough pressure as it is, and now somebody else is going to add their pressure onto you. But here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. In their mind, can I tell you something about their box? It seems perfectly normal, logical. Like, why wouldn't you want to fulfill everything that's in this box? I put it in here. I'm not crazy. I'm a normal person. Would a crazy person have these things in their box? No, I'm not crazy. I want you to fulfill it because it seems totally logical for you to fulfill everything in my box. The only problem is, that that person doesn't feel like they're being loved. You say, why? Because they thought you just accepted them as they were. Now you have all these hopes, dreams, and expectations for them. And you got into the relationship, and uh, then you traded these boxes. And some of you, you got into the relationship, and you didn't see them as a person. You saw them as a project. And nobody likes to be thought of as a project. Because the moment somebody's a project means they're incomplete, And guess what? Everywhere around us today is telling us subliminally that we're incomplete. Even though scripture says that in Christ we are complete, you just walk through a supermarket to pay for your groceries and you see all the magazines of all the perfect perfect relationships. You see all the uh, airbrushed abs. You see all the perfect 
biceps. You see how they lost all that weight in two days. You saw how they got that sculpted body by just doing a juice cleanse. And you're just thinking, man, I just feel really incomplete. And then you come home to the boyfriend, girlfriend, engagee, uh, uh, spouse, and then guess what they do? They kind of reinforce those feelings that everywhere around you is reinforcing. And so what happens is we swap boxes. Not only we swap boxes, we start shredding each other's boxes. Because if you're not going to fulfill everything in my box, guess what? I have to tear your box down. I need you to believe that your box is stupid. That's what we do. But we won't say they're stupid. We'll just say, I can't believe you like that show. Weird people like that show. That's a dumb show. Why? Because I want to watch Monday Night Football or Thursday Night Football or whatever it might be. Uh, Or they'll come in and say, I can't believe you dress like that. Why do you like to dress like that? It's just out of touch, out of date. Uh, You should dress like this, okay? And so what happens is we start shredding each other's boxes in the hopes that they will then say, okay. And what happens in a lot of relationships, somebody compromises and says, okay, if that's what you want, I will compromise, and I'll just start doing what you want. And then one person is happy, and the other person is quiet. And then the other person's like, why aren't you happy? You're doing everything that I'm doing. And so guess what? Doesn't that make you happy? Because that doesn't work anywhere else, does it? Like, you trying to pretend to be somebody else has never really made you happy. But yet, sometimes we get into relationships, and we start doing that. So he said, hey, you can't box swap, you can't box shred, so you got to start box sharing. But here, here's the deal when we start box sharing. We get into the relationship, and then sometimes we feel like, hey, this person owes me. They owe me. That's why they need to do this. But here's the problem. When you get into a debt-debtor relationship, there can, be, there can no longer be love. Uh, we used the illustration that last week. Hey, I don't feel loved by the IRS. I owe the IRS a good chunk of change this year. But I don't feel like they love me. And some of you are in your relationship, and he or she is saying, I just don't feel like we're very close. Why? Because there's a debt-debtor relationship. I feel owed dinner. I feel owed a clean house. I feel owed a new car. I feel owed this. And if you feel owed, entitled to that, guess what? That person now, you look at them as a slave. And so you can't fully love and appreciate that person like you really want to. So we said we've got to change the way we see that person. So we asked ourselves a question. We said, what does this person actually owe me? And here's the crazy thing. We all knew the answer, didn't we? We just didn't like it. (laughs) We all knew the answer. What does this person in a relationship actually owe me? And the answer was nothing. Was nothing. But yet we come into the relationship and we kind of feel like, well, no, 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 no. (laughs) Hey, uh, we made some agreements to this and this is what you're going to hold up to. And if you don't, I'm going to hold you accountable. But that's not where love grows and blossoms. So this week we're going to look at part two. And I've entitled this message, The Fine Print. Because everybody knows when you got into a relationship, there was the fine print. Does anybody actually, I mean, I'm, I, I'm hoping somebody does in this room. When Apple or whatever device you use pops up, all that long thing that just hit accepted or, or agreed. How many of you actually read it? I'm curious. Anybody in this auditorium read it? Not one person reads it? Some of you write those and you didn't even read it? That is like, that's what you do for your job. Okay, so nobody writes it. Here's the same thing. The relationship has fine print and we don't read it. We don't read the relationship fine print. And guess what? Because we don't read it, we don't know what happy couples know. And everybody here 
wants to be in a relationship with a happy couple. Everybody does. I want to be a happy couple. I want to be in a relationship as a happy couple. Uh, You want that. We all want that. But how is that possible? And that's what we're going to look at today. What do happy couples know? And that's where we're going to kick off today. And so let's look at a passage of scripture. It's a famous passage. If you've gone to a Christian wedding, sometimes they'll recite it. 1 Corinthians 13. February 20th, 2009, a good close friend and mentor of Jane and I's, he quoted these 13 powerful verses about love. It's called the love chapter. The writer, the apostle Paul, wrote this chapter. And I want to look at it this morning because in it includes love's fine print that I believe will help us. Because happy couples know something. You say, what is it that happy couples know? Happy couples know this. We naturally assume that the relationship will get better. That's what happy couples know. We naturally assume that the relationship will naturally get better. Naturally, this isn't true. Naturally. I made the mistake on February 20th, 2009, getting married, just thinking, I don't really need to work too hard at this because she's perfect And I'm almost perfect. So guess what? We're perfect together. It's going to be great. We're not really going to have to work too hard at this. Little did I know how hard we were going to have to work at this. Because guess what? Everything in life takes work. But too often we think a promise is enough. We think because I promise something that equals preparation. But in nowhere in life does that work. If you were to play sports, professional sports, semi-professional sports, if you were just to play a college pickup game of sports and you go out there and say, hey, guess what? I promised to win the championship. Is your coach going to say, oh, good, that's great. You don't need to practice. No. They're going to be like, I'm glad you're promising me. I wish the Niners would have made that promise, but unfortunately they didn't. Some of you, you're glad they didn't. And uh, the back door's there. Uh, Just kidding. No, no, no. We want you here. And uh, so uh, understand that sometimes we think that a promise is as good as preparation, and it's not. But what happens in a relationship, we stop preparing. We stop working at it because we naturally assume that the relationship will naturally get better. This is why I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud that you're saying, hey, I'm going to come to a relationship series, a marriage series. And dudes, I know this is hard. I was writing this stuff thinking, how can I slant this? How can I bend the curve towards the guys? You know, like, hey, here's what he wants. And, and by the way, uh, by the way, PG-13 warning. I did it last week. I got to throw it again. If you brought children in here, that's fine. It's not my fault, okay? If I say something, uh, do something, it ain't my fault. I gave you warning. Your children can go to rich kids if you feel like you don't want to have an awkward car ride conversation with them on the way home. Because sometimes in this relationship series, I'm just going to drop stuff, okay? And I'm just giving you fair warning, PG-13, okay? So we thought everything was going to be easy and it was going to be great. Because culture today says, guess what? You really need to be better in bed. Right? That's what culture says. If you're good in bed, guess what? You're going to be fine. But that's not all there is to it, is there? Because some of you, that's the only thing you're good at. Everything else is terrible. I told you. I, told, I warned you. Why, why are you surprised? Okay? Because you don't take out the dishes. You don't care for their needs. You don't talk to them. You don't have real dialogue. It's just kind of like, hey, as long as that's good, everything else is good. No. No, 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 no. There's so much more to a relationship than just that. Okay, they say the average couple, the average healthy couple, will be intimate 51 times a year. That's not even once a week. Okay, and they say that's norm. 
okay? That's norm. Some of you are already doing the math. You're like, it is February. And you're like, sorry, don't do elbows. I can see it, and it's disturbing. I don't, I don't want to see that, okay? All right, so understand that when we, when we get to this passage, all of a sudden, we're going to look at love's fine print because there's so much more. Because what happy couples know is that everybody gets into a relationship naturally assuming it's naturally just going to get better. But here's the thing. Nothing ever does. I heard this great quote. I'm watching Disney Plus. I love they're doing this Imagineering documentary. So good. So good. And I love what they said. Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, said, defy entropy. Constantly be getting better. And I was like, that's so good. Because everything's in a state of entropy. Your relationship, my relationship, your marriage, my marriage. Uh, uh, My parenting, your parenting. Uh, my career, your career. If I don't work at it, guess what? It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Everything in life is in a constant state of entropy. It's forcing it down. It's making it smaller. So you and I have to work very hard at this. So we need not only sermon series like this, not only do we need a life group for the next five weeks that's going to go through a book called His Needs, Her Needs. It's going to be a great book. If you're uh, in a relationship, it's going to be a great five-week life group. You can go to it. Shameless plug on my part. It meets on Sunday afternoons at 5.30, and uh, we'll be going through this. It's just a five-week commitment because we believe so strongly that relationships need to get better because culture kind of tells you, well, if you met the right one, it'll all be all right. And some of you are like, well, I must not have met the right one because it's not all right. As a matter of fact, it's worse than not all right. It's downright miserable. And some of you are wondering what happened to it used to be so easy, used to be so natural. And now it's just like, ah, who are you? I don't like you. And because I don't like you, I don't really like me either. So it's just messy. So let's look at the words of scripture. First Corinthians chapter 13. Let's just notice a few verses. I think this is powerful what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said this in verse number one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, do not but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. And when that pastor scripture was quoted at my wedding I was just like oh that's beautiful that's great I'm glad I don't really have to do any of that because who wants to be patient not me who wants to not be jealous not me who wants to not get angry not me and it was a great pastor scripture that we don't really put into practice in our marriages in our relationships and this is love's fine print isn't it you see The Apostle Paul gives verses 1 through 3, and he says, guess what? What happy couples know is they need to have a definition of love. Love needs to be defined. So the Apostle Paul spends three verses defining love. He said it's bigger than what you realize. It's more powerful. He's saying, guess what? You can speak all the languages of the world. You can even speak the language of heaven. But if you do not speak the language of love, it's nothing. He's saying, guess what? You can have great faith. That means you can be a great Christian, 
and a horrible husband or a horrible wife. And some of us think that's not possible, but he's saying it is. He's saying, hey, you can have the faith to move mountains. And guess what? Be a real jerk at home. And I've seen it. I've been it. It's easy to be a hypocrite, isn't it? It's easy to tell everybody else, here's how to have a happy relationship while yours at the same time is miserable. So what we have to do is this is Paul. He's saying, hey, you need to get a good definition of love. And he's defining it in the first three verses. And he's saying, guess what? Let's just be aware that it's easy to have all these great things. And we just, what he's saying is it's naturally, it's, it's easy to assume that we naturally just have this love and it just manifests itself everywhere. But it doesn't. Even for those in this room who call themselves Jesus followers. Some of us have to still remember, I need to work at being loving. I need to work at being kind. And so that's where the Apostle Paul lays it out. So he says, hey, happy couples know that love needs to be defined. You see, we need to understand that some of you, you don't know why the relationship went from enjoyable to transactional. You say, what do you mean transactional? Hey, I'll take the kids to school, but you got to do the laundry. Okay, I'll do the laundry, but guess what? You've got to massage my feet. Oh, I'll pay this bill, but I get to pick what we watch tonight. Hey, I'll make dinner, but you got to mow the lawn. What happened? When did a relationship go from enjoyable to transactional? Why? Because we forgot what love is. Love is sacrificial. Love is so much deeper. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, let's redefine what love is. You see, real love shines brightest when no one's watching, when the lights are off, when it's not in the limelight. That's when real love shines through. That's where we hear those wedding vows in sickness and in health till death do us part. That, hey, for richer or poorer, those are when those vows become real. And so too often what we do is we say, you know what, this, this whole relationship thing is hard. I just thought I could swap my box and they would just fulfill me. That's what I thought. That's why I got into the relationship because here's what I know about you and here's what I know about me. I know it to be true. Everybody here daydreamed about a relationship. Everybody. There was a point you daydreamed about a relationship. And here's what I know about you. You dreamed about them being perfect. That's what you dreamed about in your daydream. Isn't it interesting? You daydreamed about them being perfect, but you never daydreamed about you being perfect. You just kind of said, well, they'll love me because they are perfect. And guess what? They'll deal with all of this. I don't do laundry. I don't pay my bills. I don't eat healthy. I don't work out. I don't hold down a job. I don't, whatever. They'll just love me. They'll just love this mess. It's a beautiful mess, and they'll just love it. And so we daydream about a perfect person, but that's getting the cart before the horse, isn't it? Shouldn't we be more about, hey, how, and, and here's what we say. You'll say in your small group, oh, I just really want to serve somebody. I just really want to love somebody with that, that, that deep agape love. None of that eros stuff, you know, that, that, that stuff that's so filthy and so juvenile. No, no, I'm above such things. Yeah, right. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. There's so much more you want out of love. You see, nobody here broke up with a relationship because you're like, they just didn't let me serve them enough. <laughs> Pastor, I, I made breakfast in bed every morning. I massaged their feet. I had, I had dinner ready. Or guess what? I, every day I'd bring her home roses with a diamond wrist bracelet. Uh, I would take her on these extravagant vacations. And she just just wouldn't accept it. No, nobody broke up with a relationship like that. Nobody's relationship became dysfunctional because you just served too much. Are you kidding me? 
No, the reason we break up with people is because we aren't getting something we want to get. And so we look for somebody else who will take care of what's in the box. And so what Paul is saying, that that's not love. So we need a new definition of love. And a new definition of love is to love differently. Point number two, please write it down. Or you can take notes on the app. You can download the Southridge app. You say, what do you mean love differently? Yes, you see, love needs to be defined, but we also need to love differently. You see, too often, our love is so, it it just kind of comes at this point where we just kind of think, well, I'm going to love my way. But can we once again turn our attention to verses 4 through verse 8? It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Can I park on is not easily angered or keeps no record of wrongs? And can I make a generalization here this morning? Most of the time for us men, anger in the relationship happens. And most of the time, For the ladies, you keep a record of wrong. But Paul is saying the fine print of love is we don't do that. And that's hard. That's very hard. You see, what love is, love allows you to move at your pace. You see, too often in relationships, we're always trying to to push it. And, man, I really hope everybody who's uh, looking at dating comes back in two weeks. Jane and I are going to talk specifically to dating because it's just craziness out there. Uh, I was reading a book, and don't judge me too hard, but the book title was, It's Just the Word F, Date, okay? It's just that word and date. And I was like, I'm intrigued because he was like, so many times everybody's like, oh, there's, there's a first date. We're in a relationship. We're probably going to get married. We're probably going to have seven kids. We're probably going to live in this type of house. No, no. It's food in a movie. That's all it is. And we'll see if we want it to be more than food in a movie after this. But sometimes we build so much up into it. And what happens is what we start setting the pace of the relationship. So somebody gets into the relationship, and the Bible says here that love is patient. What does that mean? It means I'll go at your pace. And here's what I love about the author. The author said this. He said, guess what? The girl I was talking to was not attracted to me at all. And I was like, hmm, sounds familiar. I kid you not, if you ask Jane, she would tell you we were not dating. Now, at our small Bible college of 1,000 students, you could ask 999 students, is Micaiah and Jane dating? They would all tell you yes. Now, if you asked her that, she would say, no, I'm not really attracted to him. And guess what? She was being honest. I am not her type. You want to know her type? Not this, okay? None of this. Tall, dark, and handsome was her type. I hope that's changed. I pray it's changed. But that was her type, okay? And she even let me know. So I was like, cowboy boots, suntan. I can do this. I can do this, all right? So here's the thing. You say, what happened? Over time, I said, well, I'll keep loving And I'll keep practicing this, and let's see what God does to her heart. And the guy that wrote the book, he said, I went to the girl. I really liked her. After a few dates, I really liked her. And I said, hey, look, I love you. I'm not going to date anybody else. But guess what? I'm not going to put that pressure on you. You can still see other people. I just want to let you know where my heart is in this relationship. I'm invested. I'm committed. But 
I don't want you to wear that pressure. And he said, hey, if that's scaring you off, he said, look, we did not do that on the first date. Okay, this is not first date. Well, let's just put it out there. I don't want to mess around. Actually, hey, you know, take it slow. Pump the brakes a little bit. And he said, no, no, we have dated for a long time. We've known each other, really built the relationship. And he said, I was willing to let her move at her pace because that's what love does. Love lets them move at their pace. Now, I know what happens sometimes in the relationship. We think, well, I really need her to change right now. But here's the question we need to ask ourselves. How quick are we to change? And if we're pretty honest, we're probably pretty slow to change. But yet we want everybody around us to change like that. But then if we were to talk to our boss, and maybe you do this. And if you don't have a boss, talk to your spouse, all right? If you don't have a spouse, talk to a parent. And they will tell you, yeah, you kind of do this. You want everybody else to kind of conform to this little perfect image. But yet when anybody wants you to change, you're kind of slow to do so. So maybe that will help us to have more grace. Because that's what Paul is talking about. And that's a big one, isn't it? Because there's so much in the relationship, we think, well, it's got to happen now. You see, Paul is going to lay out 14 different characteristics of love in those four verses. There's 14 different characteristics. Isn't it powerful that, guess what, when I got married and I said I do to Jane, I didn't understand that when I said I love her, that there was 14 different characteristics and aspects of love I needed to work on? This gives us a lot to work on. That's love's fine print. And too many times we just get into a relationship and we naturally assume that it's naturally just going to get better. And guess what? We're naturally wrong. So it's time we step back and say, guess what? I'm going to have to work at that. What's the list I need to work on? And Paul gives it to us. So this week, last week I asked you to find out what's in their box. That was our homework. This week, I want you to study these past descriptions and say, hey, how am I practicing these verses? Hey, am I patient or am I jealous? Am I envious? Am I envious that they make a little bit more than me or they have a better job than me or they get to do this or they get to do that? Uh, where, Where in the relationship am I looking at this and is it messing me up? You see, here's what I'd love for you to write down. Love has fine print, but it's the fine print that'll make your relationship fine. It's a good thing that we have this fine print. It will make the relationship fine. You say, why? Because now we're going to practice these things in the relationship. That now, no longer is it, hey, I want you to do this just because my family of origin acted like this. Because many times what we'll do is I would bring into the relationship and say, hey, honey, I want you to stay at home because my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I just think that was great. Except then I look back at my upbringing. I cooked a lot of my own meals. I was homeschooled, which was bad. Some of you worked out great. For me, it didn't. Um, You know, there was all kinds of weird stuff that just happened at home. And I was like, maybe that's not such a great idea that I just thought, oh, that's kind of normal. And it wasn't. You know, and there are certain things. Jane come to me and she's like, well, my dad's a mechanical and electrical engineer, which means he can fix anything and build anything. I'm like, I'm good with Legos. Legos. That's what I can do. I can do Legos. She'll say, hey, can you fix this? No, I can't. Call a plumber. And she's like, but my dad can do it. Excellent. Does he want to come up from San Diego? Yeah, I will not. There's no ego here if he wants to fix it. But why? Because she was used to having a dad who did that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, sorry. You didn't get tall, dark, and handsome. You got this, okay? You're stuck with this. Now, I can work on it. And this year for Christmas, you know what she bought me? This is so cool. She bought me a tool chest. You know how many tools I have for my tool chest? A few. 
And some of you guys, I'd have to hand in my man card for what my tools look like, okay? They're just normal, small, nothing big, nothing crazy. But here's what we need to understand, that love has that fine print, but it'll make the relationship fine. Because why? Love doesn't pressure the other person. Love lets you move at your pace. Kindness is love's response to weakness. Did you catch it? Love is kind. You see, love is kindness response to weakness. You see, in every relationship, somebody's weaker and somebody's stronger. And that doesn't necessarily mean the woman is stronger or the woman is weaker. It doesn't mean the man is stronger or the man is weaker. It just says, I'm going to show kindness to that person. You see, uh, when it comes to a relationship, we've got to step back and say, hey, what is my response? How am I going to treat this person? So we need to, first of all, understand what love needs a new definition. But not only does love need a new definition, we also need to come back to that we got to love differently. Culture tells us how to love, and it's not working. You say, all right, so what is a different kind of love? A different kind of love is a deferential love. And let me park it here for the next few minutes that we have together. A different kind of love is a deferential kind of love. You say, what is a deferential kind of love? It's this, and let me illustrate it, okay? Imagine this morning that you get an invitation, you get a phone call, you get a text message, you get an email, a message in the sky, whatever, and uh, your favorite celebrity, your favorite influencer, singer, songwriter, actor, whoever it may be, uh, says, hey, I want to do lunch tomorrow. And you say, yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, I'll, I'll do lunch anywhere, anytime. And you get there, and of course you're 10, 15 minutes early, and you're all ready, you're sitting at the table, because of course the celebrity says, hey, we're going to go to this three Michelin star restaurant, I'll, I'll take care of it, we're going to be there. You just show up and sit down, and then the celebrity, the influencer, the songwriter, the movie star is late. Not five minutes late, not seven minutes late, not ten minutes late, but like 20 minutes late. And they sit down and they say, oh, I'm so sorry I'm late. And what do you do? Slam on the table. I can't believe you. Do you know who I am? You're 20 minutes late to our lunch? Are you kidding me? Would you really do that? Absolutely not. But we do it to the person we're in a relationship with. Yeah, one person caught it. I'm glad somebody caught it. What is that? It's deferential. It's saying, guess what? I'm going to defer to you. Some of us are like, no, 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 we got to be on time, and I get it, we need to be on time. Some of you are like, we got to stay on budget, and I get it, we got to stay on budget. Some of you are like, oh, we got to do this, I get it, but there's got to come a point where we say, hey, I'm going to be deferential in this relationship. A different kind of love is a deferential love. It's one that says, guess what, I can work with who you are. I can work with a little bit of the dysfunction. That's what a deferential love is, and that's what Paul is talking about here. All of these are deferential. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to be kind. It's hard to do all of this. But it's where we say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to be deferential. I'm going to work at these things. And here's what happy couples know. Deferential love is I will pick you before I pick the box. That's what deferential is. We all have a box, and many of us are bound to the box. We're like, man, uh, this, you got to fulfill this box. And here's also what happy couples know. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. And many of us go by feeling and not by choice. There are certain days I don't feel love, but guess what? That didn't excuse the fact that, oh, guess what? I don't feel like being loved, so let me just undo this today. I'm like, just, I'm not, I'm not going to do it today. 
All right, I'm just not going to a parent today. I'm not going to be responsible today. I'm not going to be married today. I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm not feeling it. So guess what? I'm, I'm going to make a different choice. And people do that all the time. They say, hey, I'm not feeling it. And, and, and instead of making the right decision, we make a decision based on a feeling, and the feeling is going to change. It'll change whether, whether or not we've, we've had a good breakfast, whether we've had a good night's sleep, or whether we're just in a mood, or whether something's happened. And so we need to make decisions that are based on choice. And happy couples make happy decisions. You say, oh, I know that. Help me with it. And their decision is, I'm going to be deferential to this person. Now, I'm not advocating for you to stay in an abusive relationship. I'm not advocating for you to stay in a relationship where you are belittled, you are put down. That's not what I'm advocating. And if you find yourself in that relationship, I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. Then you need to look for a way out. If there's abuse, if there's belittling, if that is going on, then then there needs to be a serious conversation had. And I don't say that lightly. But sometimes we as Jesus followers are like, well, I just, I just need to lay down. No, no. There came a point where Jesus said, I'm going to turn over the money changers. It's not just like, oh, hey, I, I'm going to just uh, submit and I'm just going to. Uh, there's a point to it. You say, well, what do happy couples do? What happy couples do is they understand that they don't want, need to fall into a barter and bribe system. They don't need to do that. Some of us, that's where the relationship's at. You barter and you bribe. Hey, I'll barter this, I'll bribe. We do it with our parenting, we do it with our coworkers, and we wonder why the relationship's no longer fulfilling. Because it's a, a, a carrot and the horse thing. It's like, man, I, they don't do it out of love. I've got I to put something out there. I'll buy you some new shoes, or hey, I'll do this, or uh, this will happen. That's not the grounds for a healthy relationship. It's not deferential. You say, so how do I have a deferential relationship? You see, what it is is a competition and submission. That's what a deferential relationship is. Where each is constantly saying, hey, how can I submit to this person? How can I, how can I really just be submissive to what their needs are? How can I, and, and when the other is doing it too, that's a healthy relationship where you both are fighting to submit to the other, where you're both trying to help with that. Now, in this day and age, if you told in Bible time a woman to submit, they were like, yeah, I know, duh. Because in that day and age, a woman that was married was actually a piece of property with no rights. If the husband died, the value didn't, the property didn't go to her, went to the firstborn. She couldn't vote. Her word wouldn't stand up in a court of law. Jesus is the first one to actually validate women. He was the first one to say, hey, you have value. He was the first one to say, you're important. He was the first one to do that. And so when Jesus first said, hey, women, submit to the man, everybody was like, yeah. And all the men were like, yeah, that's normal, Jesus. Thanks, nothing new. But then Jesus said, hey, likewise submitting one to another. That's when the guys were like, what? Hold on. Jesus, I like half of that. No, no, it's a submission mission. It's where I'm fighting to fulfill all 14 of these characteristics in the relationship. It's where I'm saying, hey, am I moving too fast? Am I not being kind enough? Am I getting angry? Am I getting jealous? Am I getting envious? Where am I, where am I messing up? How can I submit? It's, a, it's not just a different love. It's a deferential love. It's where we're saying, I'm trying to submit to this person. Bob Goff, he's an author that uh, before he became an author, he was a lawyer. And he would tell his clients, hey, when you're standing up there where you're sitting, you're, you're in front of uh, uh, the jury and there, the other lawyers coming up and kind of asking you questions. He said, I want you to do something as you're sitting there. 
He said, I want you to sit there with your palms up like this. Your palms up like this. He said, why would he tell the person to do it? He said, because it's impossible for you when your palms are up like this to have an attitude that's like, no, you can't say that to me. He said, no, it's your, your whole demeanor, your face, everything about you just goes submissive. Now, we've all been in those tense conversations with the person we're in a relationship with. Do you know what happens to your hands when you're in that relationship? Whether they're at your side, whether they're behind your back, you make a fist. Whether you realize it or not, every time you make a fist. You know what that's saying? I'm not giving up. I'm fighting for this. You may fold your hands, but they're a fist. He said, I wonder what it would be like if we in our relationships just said, in the heat of an argument, what would our posture be like if we just had our hands open? He'd just say, hey, I'm just going to sit here under the table. We're having this discussion. It's really awkward. Let me just have my hand open. Let me just see what happens in my posture. He said, it's impossible for your whole body just kind of relaxes. It just kind of says, okay, okay. And then you diffuse the whole argument. It's a simple thing. It's a submission move. And yet, it's the one thing we don't practice in our covenantal relationship. They, I really do love this person. I can't submit to them. And guess what? As I submit to them, they learn to submit to me. And now we're fighting for the rights of the other. Hey, where do you want to eat? I, wherever you want to eat. No, pick somewhere. No, really, you pick somewhere. All right, we're not going to eat. Fine, we'll fast. Get closer to Jesus. And get thinner. Save money. But what if it was like that? What if it's like, hey, what do you want to do? I, don't, I really want to do what you want to do. But I really want to do what you want to do. Okay. Well, this is what I want to do. Well, all right. That's kind of what I wanted to do. And you kind of take on the likes of each other. And then all of a sudden, you're like, man, this person is amazing. You start seeing them for who they are. Marcus Buckingham did a study. And uh, we've all heard the phrase that love is blind. He said, we literally found the happiest couples were blind to their spouse's quirks and hang-ups and faults. They didn't see them anymore. He said it was an upward spiral of love. How many times have we heard the exact opposite? It's a downward spiral. He said, no, the happiest couples no longer see the faults. Not that they aren't there. They just don't see them. They're love blind, the right kind. The right kind of love blind. What if you could get to that point with your spouse? You're like, you know what? God will take care of it. Um, I have an amazing wife. I'm, I'm super blessed. Love her to death. And sometimes it's just like, man, this woman's amazing. Because the first couple of years, you know, she was trying to fix me. She really was. And, and that's like teaching an old dog new tricks. Just ain't going to happen. And she got wise advice. Just smart woman. Somebody's like, just leave it alone. Pray about it. And all of a sudden, now she'll bring stuff up. And she'll be like, oh, man, I remember when you used to. And it used to bother me. She'd be like, oh, you used to do this. Or we'd go somewhere. Oh, I remember when you did this. We were driving 152, Casa de Fruto. Every time we pass Casa de Fruto, we have a little inside joke. He said, why? I did something. She got out of the car. 152. And she was like, have fun. I was like, all right, bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not, not good. Not a good moment. Not a proud moment. So every time she goes by, she's like, remember that place? I was like, oh, and I hang my head. How, how immature. How dumb was I? How dumb. And you know what? Now I can drive by and I'm like, yeah, I've changed. And you know what happened? Did she force it? No, she was just like, God's going to change him. Because the longer you stay in a relationship, guess what happens? You become more unselfish. You just do. 
But sometimes we don't give ourselves enough time in the relationship to let the relationship just kind of work that out of us. Just to kind of work it out. Where God can then step in and just kind of practice these principles. You see, so the next time before you take it to them, and we all want to take stuff to them, let's take it to him. Let's say, God, I'm really struggling in this area in the relationship. I don't know what to do. So God, I'm going to take it to you. You see, some of us forget the power of prayer in the relationship. That God is just as vested and interested in her and him as you are. And God can do a far better job at changing their heart. You know, the hardest thing I have to do every Sunday is I'm, I stand up here and I've got the word of God and I practice all week, worked hard all week. And I'm like, is it really going to change them? Are they really going to do it? Because I'm tired of doing weddings and then two years later they divorce. Oh, I'm tired of seeing somebody get saved and give their life to Christ and get baptized. And then they go out and they say, well, I'm done with Christianity. It's not real. It's fake. I'm done. I'm an atheist now. I'm kind of tired of that. Because week after week, we open up the truths of the word of God. But I'm like, well, they do it. The hardest thing for me to do is to change your mind. And guess what I realized? I can't. I can't. So I don't have to put that pressure on myself. So I just say, hey, God, I know what they're going through. I've seen so many relationships make such foolish decisions where I'm like, I know where that goes. I know that what you're doing right now, you're going to be on the 152 in front of Casa de Fruta and she's going to get out. So stop it. Don't do that. You don't want that. It's bad. And you look like a jerk. And then you're going to 10 years later be telling the story in front of 150 people and you're going to look really dumb. And then they're going to record and put on a podcast. And then guess what? It's in the cloud and it's there forever. Or we could simply say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. Proverbs says, a wise man looks down the path of life and takes heed. Takes heed. But the foolish pass on and are punished. I can't change you. I can encourage you. I can help you. I want your marriage to be bigger and better and thriving. I want it all. I want your dating, your relationship, your engagement. I want it to all be great. I can't do it. All I can do is simply say, hey, here's what the word of God says. If you'll just put it into practice, guess what? I believe it'll change. So last week I ended with a question. Let me, let me end this week with a question. And this is the question. And it's tough. And here's the thing. Nobody can answer it for you. Your boyfriend can't answer it. Your husband can't answer it. Your girlfriend can't answer it. Your spouse can't answer it. And here's the question. What you need to ask of your relationship, dating, single, wherever you're at, what, and I'll put up on the screen, what does love require of me in this relationship? What does love require of you? She can't answer it. He can't answer it. Only you can answer it. Where you're at right now, what does love require of me? For some of you, that's a tough thing because it may require you getting on your heads and knees and saying, I was wrong. I need to say I'm sorry. It may mean that you say, you know what? You were right. We got to do it like this. But that's the question we need to wrestle with this week. What does love require of me in this relationship? Because that's what the Apostle Paul was writing about. And that's why he said, hey, love never fails. I love that. It's a promise. Love won't fail. If you pour love, it will not fail. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you so much. Dear Grace Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I believe that you can change every heart and every life here if we're open and receptive to it. Help us, Father. There's so much to go over. There's so much... But, Lord, we need to ask ourselves this question. What does love require of me in this relationship? What do I need to be doing? What do I need to be saying? What do I need to be thinking? How do I need to be responding? How do I need to 
act, react? What do I need to type? What do I need to text? What do I need to call? What do I need to email? What would love require of me in this relationship? And as we hold it up to these four verses, where we understand that love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, love doesn't get jealous, love doesn't get angry, love holds no record. Love is selfless. This is love's fine print. Would you help us this morning? Would you help us to enact this, to live this out, so that we could have better, stronger, more thriving relationships? I pray this for each and every person here. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.